Gumbo batted in and out down the lane. And the foul. Rebounded inside O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon. He's been sensational. To the bucket! O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he flat can't miss. Hey guys, welcome to the Player's Perspective Uncensored with Larry O'Bannon. Got a wonderful episode lined up for you guys today. Got a special guest in the house, Taekwon Dean. His actual name is Taekwon Panero. One of the most prolific, if not the most prolific, three-point shooter in L history. So we're going to be sitting down with him, having a little conversation. And our bourbon selection of the day is McKenna 10-Year Bottled in Bond. It's my first time trying it, so as I try it out, I give you guys reviews throughout the conversation. But without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, T-Wee. What's up, brother? How you doing? Let's first talk about what it means to be from Jersey, New York City, the whole East Coast. Is handles a requirement? Got to. I mean, when you're playing a street game, that's what it comes to. Nobody really want to see jump shots. They want to see you mix somebody. So coming up at a young age, you got to, if you don't have that, get out the park. So, you know, uh, you got to bring that in a street game, and then you bring that into, you know, organized. But the parks don't don't get lit up if you're not handling so I remember the first time we were playing over in the old Crawford gym, the hot box, and I think he was a freshman, I was a sophomore, so I was guarding you, and you came down and you hit me with a crossover, and I was still there on the crossover, then after the crossover, you hit me with a spin move, and you lost me, and I just remember the crowd going, ooh, and I was like, oh man, nah, 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 that can't happen, and so then... A few possessions later, you came down, you were sprinting the lane, and you had kind of got behind me, and I knew where you were. And so you ran hard like you was going to sprint across to the other side. And so I turned my back looking for you to sprint to the other side, but you faked and came back out the same corner, passed till you hit a three. And I was like, man, what the hell is going on here, man? And I was just constantly spinning in circles, man. So uh, that's one of the stories I remember about you, man. <laughs> just uh, my freshman year, and I had to catch on to, like, the whole – herky-jerky, you know, swag, you know, like you said, having the handle, and I just, I wasn't used to it, and I'm like, oh, man, this is, so I got to look forward to the whole year guarding this dude with this. You know, it was pretty cool, man, just to have you on my side going against the opposition and watching you do it, man. It was a thing of beauty. See, the thing with that was me on the East Coast, I was looked at as I didn't have too much of that, that mixing, so, because uh, I like to shoot, so, but the thing was with having a jumper, if you had just one cross, if you had one go-to move, it makes you dangerous. So I knew I knew my limits. I knew my limitations, but I also knew my strengths. And three-point shooting was definitely your strength. And the thing about it is that you could shoot spot up or you could shoot it creating off the dribble, and I was always pretty amazed at that. But me and you had talked, and you had told me that you had studied Dewan Wheat before you came to L and that you knew he was the all-time three-point shooter from Louisville history and that he was the leader. And you said that was one of your goals was that you wanted to break his record, which you did pretty easily. I mean, first first and foremost, I'm a, a firm believer in knowing your history, you know, especially in your craft. Because if you don't know your history, you don't know where you're going. And I knew coming in, you know, I researched who was the all-time three-point leader. We, you know, was at the top of pretty much every category. 
but my only focus was beating that. So my goal coming in, I remember when I came in and we had to do a a few uh, press runs in the morning. It was like 5, 6 a.m. in Louisville. We go to different radio stations and that's, you know, what came up was I was pretty much unknown and, you know, what do you do? And my first uh, reaction was I'm a shooter. And so, you know, I, I knew no one believed in it, but I knew what it was, what I was going to have to do to be his record, which was, I don't know how long it stood for. I, I, it may have been over 10 years that record stood. So I knew it was a great feat, but um, I did that in high school. So I, I did it everywhere I went, but actually beating that, that record was uh, was unbelievable just because of who he is. And, you know, the funny thing now is that people sort of know me for being a shooter, but coming into U of L, if you'd have asked me what I was, I'd have just told you I was a slasher, I was an athlete. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have known what particular skill set that I had in basketball. And that was one of the things I really had to develop. And so I looked to you guys, and you guys really helped show me the work ethic to creating that skill, along with Dewan Wheat, him taking me up under his wing when I got to college. He showed me some drills to do to help me create my skill level along with going with my athleticism. So I really appreciate you guys for that. So you taking down Dewan Wheat's record, that really says a lot. And for me, that was the one person that I looked up to. Obviously, a lot of people universally see Daryl Griffith as the greatest basketball player in university history. You know, I didn't get to see Griff play. And so – for the people that I actually got to watch play, Dewan Wheat was probably the, you know, the GOAT for me. So for you to actually pass him up as the leader in most three-pointers in a season, most three-pointers made in a game, most three-pointers attempted, that's an accomplishment in itself. So talk to me a little bit about the 6 a.m. club at the University of Louisville. You guys started you, Francisco, Ellis, Ray Harrison, the academic advisor. Talk to us about that and what that was, because a lot of people don't know about that. See, the thing was, is is the day I stepped foot on campus, I already had that uh, that 6 a.m. you know mindset. That's what I was going to do. I had to prove myself. Granted, I was I was a buck sixty pounds coming in, and once I saw you, likes of you, you had the same body right now as you had as as a sophomore. So <laughs> me 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 seeing that with Reese Gaines and just the different guards, I said, this is not high school no more. It's not AAU. These are grown men in my eyes. So I got up I got up that early and once I saw Patino coming in at, you know, like the likes of five, five fifteen, five thirty, I realized I gotta come here before him because I gotta show him that, you know, I'm serious. So granted when he came to actually visit me in Jersey, I had the worst game of my career, of my life. So he pretty much recruited me off the word of mouth, not off of seeing me. So his first, when he put his eyes on me for the first time, it was not a good showing. The only thing he could tell me was, hey, man, you play good defense. <laughs> 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 somebody somebody come from Jersey, it's like, that's a slap in the face. So I'm like, I'm already, you know, behind the ball coming in. So... You know, uh, once Coach Gnoll and Guy Ray Harrison, which was our academic advisor, he was coming around that time to lift weights. You know, he he came to me and said, hey, man, you need to get the other guys in here. And I'm like, I don't know if, uh, you know, these guys are listening or they kind of probably think that's kind of crazy. But 
you know, you know from from experience with Ray, he he was a guy getting in your face and you know making sure holding you accountable. So he would get in God's face and you know tell him to come in at six a.m. and we started this, and you know it started one by one. Once the guys bought into it, it was like for me, it was a it was a bonding experience. But most importantly, we got to compete, and competing for me as as a team is is the most pivotal thing that you can have and that bond it created a bond within us but it also created a a competitive spirit that made us want to outdo each other which made the team better i definitely think it helped in our camaraderie and making us closer on the team but man let me tell you about ray harrison ray harrison to make you want to punch him in the face (laughs) because ray i mean he pushed our body past the limit and coach ganong was really great with it but Ray coming in, being his assistant in the weight room, and he didn't even have to do that. That was just something nah. he wanted to do on his own just to make us better, not only as basketball players, but young men. And he don't get but enough credit for that. He doesn't, man, but he pushed us beyond our limit because Ray would be killing us, and we'd be doing reps till failure, and you couldn't do no more. Mm-hmm. And Ray would be like, give me two more. He'd be like, Ray, that's all I had. He'd be like, give me two more. And, man, you'd be ready to drop the weights and fight Ray. But Ray was big dude, though. Yeah, he'll get with you. <laughs> yeah, really get with you. From Chicago, right? And, man, you know, I never really appreciated uh, how much he really did until later on. But now that you say that, all of, each and every one of us had a chip on our shoulder. And with you saying that, it made me think of Ray. He also had a chip on his shoulder because of his pro, his brother that played pro football. Yeah, he so did. So he, he had a chip on his shoulder as well, and that, you know, helped us. With our team. And I think help turn back the clock for him a little bit because Ray's a college football player. He played at the University of Cincinnati. So yeah. I think once he kind of got into that mindset and that regimen of lifting, it kind of took him on a little flashback and, yeah. you know, back to his playing days. But like you said, man, it really made us compete. And we had these charts to where we seen who could do the most reps who could hold the sandbag the longest, who could hold the heaviest sandbag, who could walk around with the 45-pound plates, gripping it in your hand the longest. And so we had these charts when you walked in, and you knew that if you went first that day, you wasn't going to win. Yeah. And that, I'm going to be honest with you, that led into my pro my pro career as far as what time I'm going to get up, what time, you know what I mean, I'm going to get to the gym, get the most shots, how much weights I'm going to lift. Yeah, I mean that just that competitive spirit led on after, after uh, UFL, but it was true. Like I would wake up and say, "All right, what we got? We'll know what we had the next day if it was bench press, or if we were going to drag the sled. What's the time you're going to drag, and what's the weight you're going to put on?" Right. <laughs> so that that competitive spirit. I mean, I don't know about teams after us, and I don't know if that led. You know, what I mean that same uh, competitive spirit that that. That camaraderie we had, I don't know if it led to the other teams, but that's what made us go. It did, and we just always wanted to just challenge each other, whether it was the weight room, whether it was in shooting drills and individual, whether it was field goal percentage in the game. It didn't make no difference. We even got into it. I mean, we didn't get into it, but we always had a thing about who was going to get the first shot attempt at a game <laughs> from the jump ball. I mean, whoever touched the ball first, you knew it was going up from the jump ball, man. And so those were just one of the things that we just helped use to make us a more competitive and more closer bonded team. But speaking of Reese Gaines, man, Reese Gaines was probably like the second person to really bust my ass, and there was nothing I can do about it. 
But who was the first person to really like bust your ass on the basketball court? Man, it was a it's a kid named Jr. He came down from Harlem. Him and his family moved down, you know, to Jersey from Harlem. And at that time, that's when you know the N One mixtape was out. So you know, Skip to Malou and and all those guys. He brought all of that down to Jersey. And at that time, I wasn't playing basketball. I mean, I was. I was playing around with basketball. I was more into football. So, but still around my weight, I was that was that guy. So we get to the park, and he comes down with, you know, everything. The sham guy at the at that time, nobody knew what the sham guy was. He brought it down from Harlem, and he was bringing that out. And he was uh, he was doing everything, man. He tore he tore my ass up. I'm not gonna lie to you, but that made me stop playing football. And go full really? go full time with the basketball. Like he and I guess that's where the six AM started for me. Like I everybody praised him, you know, coming down from New York. And I realized I'm gonna have to put in extra time. He was more into the streets. So I know if I had time in the gym while he was in the street, I was going at some point outdoor. And that point came, you know, eighth grade year. I tore his ass up. I think for me the first person that really bust my ass was a guy named Chris Shoemate, high school teammate of mine. <laughs> and I was actually supposed to play with Chris in middle school. Chris was two years older than me and a good friend of mine to this day. He's into coaching, uh, college coaching. And so he was in eighth grade. I was in sixth grade. And there was only two sixth graders to make the team. So I was one of the two sixth graders to make the team. But it was actually the time that I learned my first life lesson that academics was a priority and basketball was secondary because I had like a – 2.2 or 2.1 GPA. I was eligible, yeah. but my mom, it wasn't good enough for my mom. So my mom took me off the team and my yeah. dad took me off the team. He'll want credit for that too. He'd be like, it was part of my decision too. Right. So my mom and my dad took me off the team for the whole year. They, you know, the next three weeks, Parkour came out, game up. I'm on a AB on a road. Didn't make a difference. They took me off the team for the whole year. Mm. So back to my story, I wasn't able to play with Shoemate my sixth grade year. And so I wasn't able to meet up with him till high school. So by then he was a junior. I was an incoming freshman. Yeah. And Shu was about six five, had a jumper, just knew how to play. Smart, high IQ guy. Didn't have the quickest feet. Yeah. But had some athleticism to him. Had a little bounce. First person I really seen to jump off the right leg and dunk with the left hand on a regular basis. I'd be like, man, you got tendonitis in your left knee because you're right handed, yeah. but you don't really dunk with your right hand. Yeah. Man, it would talk trash too in yeah. practice. Hit a bucket, come down, get your bump, and be like, yeah, you ain't never had a white dude bust your ass, huh? Yeah. I was look like, what? <laughs> I mean, but was it was a force to be reckoned with, though. So and my question to you with that is, did that make you more of an animal or it kind of made, made you soft? You get what I'm saying? You know, honestly, it kind of lit a fire. But at the time, I, I had a work ethic, but I didn't know how the work ethic was to make me a better basketball player because yeah. you can work, but if you're not working smarter, you're not becoming better. Yeah. And so I don't think at the time I really had the regimen to become a basketball player, but I was a great athlete though. Gotcha. And I could get away with it on my athleticism. Yeah. And so, you know, I would compete. And then when he was a senior and I was a sophomore, you know, I got bigger, I got stronger, and I was able to compete a little bit more. He yeah. was still a great basketball player. He went on to play division one basketball, yeah. but he was a, great player and so then when I got to U of L he was actually at Murray State oh, you got and it. so my junior year yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I couldn't wait to play him and so we get the scouting report 
and I matched up with Chris Shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, this ain't the same freshman from <laughs> high school that you was playing against. And so we matched up, man. And so I had him on the wing one time. Well, I was guarding him on the wing. Yeah. And so I'm like, I know he wants to go left and try to shoot a little floater and pull up. And I couldn't let him go middle because if I let him go middle, I was coming out of the game. Yeah. So he went baseline, got a little quick step on me. So he tried to pull up, and I knew he was going to pull up. And I blocked the shot from yeah. behind. Yeah. And so he gave me a little tap on the butt afterwards, man. And I was like, yeah. That's the little rite you of lucky, passage. You like, lucky yeah, you let me know that. <laughs> that's a little rite of passage. <laughs> like, yeah, ain't the same little kid from male high school. No more. Yeah. He had growing up a little bit. So shout out to Chris Shoemate, man. That's my boy. That's the, really the first person that was really busting my ass. Yeah. So to give you a little quick mid-podcast review on this McKenna 10-year, uh, very strong taste. Great flavor, though. Smooth transition. Now, what do I mean by transition? Transition is basically once it goes down, does it give you high intensity heat, medium heat, minimal heat? It's definitely not a chest burner. Gives you a nice little warming sensation. So I put it somewhere on a scale of 10, around a four. So for me, that's pretty smooth. But back to the podcast, back to our guest, Taekwon Dean. You had an obsession with Kobe Bryant. I used to walk into your dorm room and you would have all these Kobe Bryant posters and you even had your baby fro back when Kobe was rocking the baby fro. What was your obsession with Kobe Bryant about? The thing was, you know, again, back to the East Coast, everything was Iverson at that at that time. Everything was Allen Iverson. So when Kobe came on the scene, I mean, I, I've known about the Lower Marion. So I wore, I wore 33, you know, in high school, my freshman year because of him. But Kobe just had this dog in him. Just, I mean, I could see that at a young age. And I saw, I mean, to me, Iverson was great, you know what I mean, talent-wise and everything. I, I just thought he cheated the game in a sense. Like I said, I'm a student, student of the game, so I understand history. And I, I would know certain stories about Iverson as far as off the court. And so Kobe, for me, was like he lived in the gym. And so I had that same uh, – you know, work ethic. So along with the fro, I wore a fro because I had a flat head. <laughs> and That's as a, true too. And as a kid, that. as a kid, you know, they would tease me because so I would wear a fro. And once I saw that he had the fro, I'm like, okay, I can make this I can make this work. But it was more about his uh you know, his his work ethic. A lot of people don't understand what it means to play overseas. A lot of guys come up to me and say, well, how can I get overseas? You know, I want to play overseas and continue my hoop dreams. And I'll be trying to get people to understand that playing overseas is not a rec league. It's not something you can just sign up for. These guys are professional, and it is an extremely high level. But also, when somebody says they play overseas, everybody's not on the same level. There's some bad leagues. Yeah, There's some leagues where you don't really get paid any money and it's not even worth the time of being that far away from your family. Mm -hmm. But there's also, you have Euro league champions league and these leagues are right up under the NBA where you can make a great living and get a great jump on life. But the thing that people don't understand is that there's so many other factors to playing overseas besides basketball. Let's just start with the initial flight. Because either you're going to Europe, Asia, or South America, mm-hmm. and it's a good chance you're going to be on a plane close to double-digit hours. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, can you handle being on a plane for 
nine, 10, 11 hours. Cause that's, that's what's going to take to get there. And that's not, the, that's the first thing. Class. Right. And so that's <laughs> the first thing you're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Then once you get over there, not everybody speaks English. You're staying in places that don't look like your home. But for some guys staying over there is better than the actual home that they have here. Yeah. But the food is different. You might be in an organization that's not the most professional. You're not getting your money on time. You may not be getting it at all. Or you might only get half of your money. Basketball is different. It's not the same type of basketball that's played in America. It's mm-hmm. sort of similar to college, but you know, guys are a lot smarter. You go in the locker room, there's not really lockers. There's hooks. There's no place to put your shoes. You're used to taking off your dirty clothes and throwing it in the laundry bin. Guys mm-hmm. come around and collecting in a garbage bag. You might have to wash your own clothes. You might have to tape your own ankles. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's a lot that people don't consider when it's talking about playing overseas. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I know you have some similar experiences as well. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely go into one experience where – you know, it was one particular team in Italy uh, called Avellino. And uh, I remember getting off, the, getting off the plane and, you know, driving. Like, because it's kind of, it's right outside of Naples. So it's kind of like in the in the country area. But uh, I remember them dropping me off at this pizzeria and telling me to walk in the back to meet the GM, to meet the president, actually, and the GM. And it reminded me of a mob scene. And, you know, I'm going back there and I step back and, three bodyguards kind of like, you know, put their hand on my chest like you can't go no further. And you got this sort of fat guy sitting back there eating by himself. And it, it looked like he was the godfather. And that's when I realized I'm really outside. I'm in Italy in the South. And it hit me like, I don't know if he's connected or what, but this is real, you know? So that was my first experience, you know, coming in Italy. And I'm like, all right, so... You know, they dress it up real nice. You know, they give you a car, show your apartment. And, you know, you get there and you start practicing. You know, you take your physical and and the contractor tells you that, you know, do not practice until, you know, until the physical is, everything is good. But they don't follow those rules. They automatically throw you into practice and right, right. you get to going. Now, you don't understand your business. Now, if you get hurt in that practice or whatever, they can cut you the next day. Big so, facts. Big so, facts. you know, I get there and, and everything's great. You know, uh, I get my signing bonus, you know, get that. So you got a little money in your account, feeling good. It could hold you over for maybe, you know, two months. So that held me over. But, you know, after those two months, I'm looking like, man, they're missing September. They're missing October. November is December now. I'm like, so, you know, around that time, it's Christmas time. So right. you got family back home that's, you know, looking for, for certain things. And I'm working off of just signing bonus. So, uh, you know, I contact the coach and I'm like, hey, coach, you know, uh, I'm not going to be able to practice tomorrow because, you know, I haven't been paid in four months. And, you know, agent is telling me to sit down. He's like, hey, man, I agree with you. I respect it. You know, they haven't paid me in four months. So, you know, uh, I, I get it. So... You know, go to practice the next day with my slippers on. And, you know, that's, you know, proper protocol. You know, just not be unprofessional and not show up. Just be at the practice, but don't participate. So I'm sitting there waiting while they're warming up. The coach comes out of the locker room cursing up a storm. Get the fuck out of my practice. And what are you doing here? And 
And I'm looking at him like, are we playing a game? Or, you know what I mean, are you punking me right now? Like, what's going on? We had this long talk, you know, last night. Now you, you, you're you different. So he still cursing in my face, spitting a little bit. I guess because the GM, you know, showed up in the gym. Acting brand new. Brand new. So it got a little ridiculous. You know, I, first off, I'm not getting paid. And number two, you're not going to talk to me like I'm a kid. You're the coach, but I'm a man at the same time. But so, you know, uh, he wants me to get out the gym. I'm like, listen, I'm not going nowhere. Me knowing sort of the rules that if I do leave that practice, they can cut me right then on the spot. They don't have to pay me anything. They got my four months of service and, you know, on to the next guy. And uh, so they gave me a letter, you know, stating that I was suspended. Now, I don't know why I'm suspended. You don't pay me and now you suspend me, which is, you know, these guys thinking that coming to Europe is easy. Just being put in that situation where you're not being paid and yet you're suspended for you. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, you gave them your services. They just didn't you know, compensate you for it. So I go home and they send me another letter telling me that, you know, I'm off the team until further notice. And, but I have to practice, I'm off the team, but I have to practice at 6 Mm a.m. And and if you know anything about Europe, ain't no teams waking up at 6 a.m. Yeah. I mean, I I, 6 a.m. Okay. I get eight, but six. Okay. And at this time it's dead winter. I get to the gym the next day. They have no heat on, no lights. It's freezing. I got to put on a, 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 a North Face for real. This is how cold it is in the gym, and they want me to work out, you know, two hours. So I, I do it the first day, and I, once I understood, I'm like, they're trying to break me to where they, when they break me, that they can cut me. So if I don't show up to one practice or they deem me being uh, disrespectful, disrespectful, unprofessional, they can cut me. So I realized, okay, I could go back to my Louisville days. I'll just wake up. You know, I'm used to the 6 a.m. That's nothing. But I'm going to show them how hard I can work. I can show them my character. So I did that for a month straight. Showed up, full sweat, already did my workout. They looking for me to do a workout. I'm like, nah, you do a workout with me. It's to the point where they like, I don't want to see him in the gym anymore. So they're like, listen, you could go home and just sit there. Like, we're not going to cut you. Just go home. So I'm sitting in the crib for a month. Still haven't been paid. To where, you know, now they, they, the president calls me, hey, listen, I'll give you this amount of money, you know, just go home and, and you know, we could part ways. I'm like, nah, yeah, I got a two-year contract. Y'all going to pay me everything. So they gave me the money, and then I filed, you know, a lawsuit with FIBA. Now, normally in those situations, I don't know, if players don't know these rules, you think FIBA is for you. To me, I look at it like they're against you. Because if you're not being paid, they want you to pay them $10,000 for a lawyer. And then they could proceed to, you know, get you your money. And then you may get your money after 10 years for your for your case to even get heard or seen. It may take 10 years for the team, for you to even get heard. So luckily, I was able to, one of the players got hurt and they need to bring another player in. Mm-hmm. And before they could sign that player, they had to pay my money. Yeah, man, it's it's amazing some of the stories you hear about what guys go through over in Europe. But I actually played in Naples, and uh-huh. Avelina was one of our rivals. And so I can definitely back you up on that because when we went to practice in that gym before the game, it was freezing cold because it's kind of up in the mountains. But quick story on my Naples experience. When I first got to Naples, the very first thing that they told me was stay away from the shipyard, stay away from the ports. It was very dangerous, very mafioso, you know, a lot of – organized crime down that way. Mm-hmm. So 
I did what they said. I didn't go down near the shipyard. Yeah. But my family came, man. We went to uh, some vendors outside by the train station. And so, mind you, I know that they were kind of like scammers, kind artists. Uh-huh. But I'm like, oh, we just going to walk through and just kind of see. Because not all of them are, but some of them are. Mm-hmm. So, we just was getting out of the house, walking through. And so, I seen this gold Dolce & Gabbana phone. I don't know if you remember when the first thin Motorola Razor phones came out. It was a gold Dolce & Gabbana phone. I wanted it. So, I'm like, oh, okay. And the guy had it to me for a great price. So, I took the SIM card out of my phone and put it in the Dolce & Gabbana phone. I said, nah, let me see if it works, man. You might be trying to sell me something, but just that's a jib. Legit had the box, opened up the phone, had all of the information, serial number, yeah. Dolce & Gabbana license on it and everything. So I'm like, cool. I'm like, man, I'll take the phone. He's like, oh, it's cool. Okay, I'll bag it up. I said, no, 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 no. You don't need to bag it up for me. So he proceeds to bag the phone up anyway. And I'm like, man, I don't want you to bag the phone up. So he ducks down behind the table and I'm trying to watch him and he hands me the bag. And I'm like, man, I told you not to bag my phone up, man. And so while I'm unfolding the bag, it's a bag, it's a box in the bag. And so by the way, I'm standing, I'm not, I, I didn't, I'm looking out the bag, man. I don't took my eyes off of the guy. Take one step, man. I said, man, hold on. Let me just finish opening the box, open it up the box, out. man. It's a daggone water bottle in the box. And so when you look up, other dude's gone. And so I'm looking up. I'm like, oh, man. And the guy was like, no, he's gone, man. Hopped on the motorbike and he went. He took your money. Yeah. And so the thing about it is that the guy was, you know, was telling me, he said, those guys are dangerous because when you dealing with them, you don't know that it's like eight other people watching you, but you don't know. Uh, so even if you would have caught him, yeah, the eight other people would have came out yeah, and yeah. made sure that you stayed off of him. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because he had a crew with him. Okay. And so uh, I told my teammates, man, and my teammates were like, man, they got me for some computers. And I'm like, man, damn. <laughs> so that was the bad side, man, yeah, that yeah, I got yeah. got. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, man, Naples, other than that, was wonderful, man. The island of Capri. Yeah. Went down to see Pompeii, the Amalfi Coast, yeah. uh, Mount Vesuvius. My family enjoyed it. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience, man. But have you ever been someplace overseas where outside the basketball court when you were just living that you didn't feel comfortable? Didn't feel comfortable. I would say when I was in Russia, I was in Moscow, but it's just, you know, when you, when you go to Russia, you got that, you have to have a driver. You you can't move around by yourself out there. That for me was, you know, besides the traffic and the weather, like that, that cold is a whole different type of cold, but just the fact that I couldn't move around by myself was like, for me, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't grasp it. I would say that Russia was probably the most uncomfortable place for me too. And I can speak on that cold because that is a different kind of cold. And unless you've been there, there's no way to really explain it because it tripped me out because I wonder why they had so many potholes in the road. Yeah. And you really couldn't even see the potholes until it was time to go because the whole time we were there, I'd probably say maybe like six inches of ice yeah. on top of the road. Yeah. And then on top of the ice, you have maybe like a foot or two of snow. Yeah. So you're driving two and a half feet above the road. Above the road. <laughs> yeah. And then you crossing over bridges and you see people driving underneath. You think it's a road, but yeah. it's really a river that's yeah. frozen. Yeah. And so, man, the first thing I learned is that 
I couldn't go outside in single article of clothing. Yeah. I had a double layer. Uh-huh. So I couldn't just go outside in some sweatpants. Yeah. I had to have on a pair of long johns and some sweatpants yeah. or two pairs of sweatpants, you know, long johns underneath my hoodie. Yeah. But it's a different kind of cold. But back to the uncomfortableness, it was uncomfortable for me because I guess just because I was black. Yeah. And in my town, there was no other black people. Yeah. And so you just kind of felt the stairs. I was in a bar one time and guy just walked by, gave me a shoulder. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I'm walking with my teammates. Yeah. And so I turn and look and the guy's like, is it a problem? And I'm like, is it a problem? Yeah. And so we just kind of had to stare down and, you know, eventually his buddies grabbed him. But, you know, I had a few incidents like that and I stayed in a high rise and I'll never forget. I was looking down in my high rise one day and guy was coming out and you would have thought it was the U.S. president because a black suburban pulled up. Yeah. Another black suburban pulled up. Then it was a black town car and it was two more black suburbans behind that. So then out of the high rise that's right next door to me, yeah. you see this tall, thin, you know, Frankenstein face guy, real skeletal. Yeah. Come down and he's got like four other people around him. We got two in front of him, two behind him. Was he's kind of had to be. Walking in the middle. And he gets in the middle car, but I'm like, who walks around like this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Secret service, protective custody. You got full bodyguards. I'm assuming that's what they were. Yeah. You know, just by the motorcated cars that he had down in front of his car and behind his car. So at that point, I was just like, you know what? I was all right to finish out the year, but it just, I didn't want to go anywhere by myself. Like you said, I had a driver as well. Yeah. And our driver like we had chains on our wheels and it it just the whole experience just tripped me out you know not the weather and things like that but just from a state of being comfortable outside of basketball living yeah i'd probably say russia was the place that was most uncomfortable for me and it didn't make a difference how much money that they paid me i probably wouldn't have went back yeah now moscow was a little different because it's a bigger city it's more international yeah maybe I haven't lived there, but just from the time we traveled there and play, yeah, uh, it was just a different feel. But just in the city where I was at, yeah, nah, I wasn't comfortable at all, and I, I, I definitely wouldn't go back. I say when you're younger, cool, but even then, it's tough. That's that's a grind out there. That's a grind, serious grind, and it's definitely not a place that I would have brought my family to. Oh, no. You know, I would do it by myself. Yeah. But if I had a family, I definitely want my want my family there, especially if I had to travel to other cities and live yeah, yeah. in that city by themselves. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not something I'd do. What do you think about parity in the NBA now? Because you got KD that's gone to Brooklyn. Seem like there's more of a balance of power in the NBA now. You have these power trios or power duos. Talk about who you think is going to be the team to come out of the West. Everybody's sleeping on the East. Giannis, Bucks, Ben Simmons, 76ers, Kemba and the Celtics. I mean, the parody thing, like I, I've stopped watching the NBA for a few years because of the way it was going. Like they, they lost the competitiveness. I didn't see no anger. Like, I mean, basketball for me is kind of like hip hop. You know, you're competing. Like, yeah, it's a sport, but. I'm trying to take your head off, and it seemed like everybody was friends. And it's cool when you get off the court. You know, everybody could go out, you know, after the season over, go on the yacht, do what you do. But during the season, when I started seeing the friendships, it was like, I can't watch this. But now, 
now what I'm saying I'm loving because it's like, okay, it's balanced. You know, the East, Kawhi did with the East after LeBron left, him bringing that back. But I'm the ultimate Giannis fan, bro, because he, he brings it back to the John Starks, you know, that, that 90s, you know, vibe. Like, he ain't nobody friend. Like, they, you know, who, who wanted him to work out, LeBron or somebody wanted him to, you know, pretty much where he's like, nah, I'm good. He like, wanted him to be in Space Jam, wanted him to be in the movie. I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's what, you know what I mean? I'm used to it, and that's what I like, the competitiveness. But as far as the league now, it's wide open. So is Giannis the best player in the game? 100%. Who's number two? Man, that's tough. Let me ask you this. A healthy KD, is Giannis still the best player in the league? Hmm. No. KD's best player in the league? I got to give him neck and KD KD is a, is is a, a unicorn, bro. Like uh that's tough. That's tough. So Bron's not in the conversation. You going to see you set me up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I I got to love hate with LeBron. I I got to love hate because everything LeBron does off the court 100%. He's the goat on on that on that aspect. But on the court it's just a lot of things that, for me as a player looking in, I couldn't, I couldn't play with. Mm-hmm. Not taking nothing away from his talent, but Katie's to me is better than LeBron. So let me ask you this: Kobe obviously wanted to mimic Mike a lot and really pattern his game after Mike. Mike was sort of the original uh-huh. at what he did. Got you. Is there a way that a sequel can be better than the original? Never. Now, now the whole Kobe thing, for me, like because I'm such a diehard Kobe fan, people say, well, he bit Mike. I just want people to sit back and think, I can study you, right? I can study you, see how you, your mannerism t- down to the T. But for Kobe to do that down to the T, I mean, from interviews to moves to that's talent in itself. Fist pumps. I'm just saying, people, how can you hate? That shows how great this man is that he took the time. He didn't study from, I mean, a a Hall of Fame. He studied from the greatest and got it down to the T. And people can hate on that. I I can't never understand that. But you know how hard that is? Yeah. And the thing I loved about Mike, man, Mike was just a killer. And Mike was just smooth, man. I think LeBron has the talent yeah. to be the greatest of all time, but he just goes through phases where you just wonder, like, man, what are you doing? You think he could be the greatest of all time? If he had the, if he had a Kobe mentality, yeah, yes, he, yeah, he could be the greatest because I mean, he shows flashes of it. Yeah, yeah, he does. He shows flashes, he does. but I'm like, man, like, give you a prime example when he was with Miami and they were playing in Boston. Yeah, they were down three two. Yeah. And he came out, he had like 45, 17, mm-hmm. and like nine. Yeah. But he was just out there just bullying, doing whatever he want, knocking it down from 30. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what the Celtics did, you couldn't stop him. I'm like, man, if you just play like that, with just with that mentality, you didn't even have to put up those numbers all yeah. the time, but just that mentality. Same thing he did when they were down to the Pacers. Yeah. Went into, uh, you know, the Pacer Arena, man, and just – I'm See, just take this win. I'm going to rewind that nobody know about. My AAU, my AAU team, they they labeled us as one of the best AAU teams ever. That was uh, it was me. What Curtis, was the name of your uh, AAU team? 
the Long Island Panthers. Now that's it, it was me, Charlie Villanueva, Curtis Sumter. These are all guys you probably don't know, but at that time they were, you know, tops in the class. Uh, Jason, Jason Frazier, Showtime. Now we had ran through all the major tournaments in the summer, so it was like, who are we gonna play next? So Slam set up a private game in Queens with Sebastian and LeBron on the same team. And they had a few others, Chris Taff and, and other guys. So they set us up in a small gym, us against LeBron and them, slam, covering the whole game. Now, this is when I saw who LeBron really was. Nobody, and if I'm lying, I'm flying. Slam ended up lying in their magazine about the results of the game. Mm-hmm. They gave LeBron like triple double. He had forty or something like that. No way possible. I'm, when I say it was a small gym, <clears throat> LeBron came in, you know, jeweled up with his mom, and you know, the crowds going crazy. You go, Sebastian got the whole Brooklyn with him. Right. When I say it's bloods all on, this is where there's no court no more. Like it's a circle because there's so many people packed in this gym. And I think LeBron, when he saw this. He was on, I'm sure he's from the hood, but Brooklyn is a whole different environment. And once he saw this and how New Yorkers got down, he was like, I saw the heart go. Charlie Vanoway would come down the fast break, windmill on him, bang. Yeah, I mean, talking to him crazy, LeBron, the moms had to come out there like, yo, what are you doing? Like, wake up. Like, we, this is exactly, words out of my mouth, wake up. Right. You from the hood. And once I saw that, he was uncomfortable in that environment. Now, I don't know if it's going to come back to bite me. I'm going to say it one day, but it is what it is. He was scared in this game. And once I saw him, like, in the playoffs and different events, I said, oh, he's the same. Like, this is who he is. It's, it's no different, you know what I mean, from that environment when he was in high school. And I'm just saying, nothing to take note. He's great. In his own right, he's great. But to put him as far as the GOAT status, nah. He's not the GOAT. Mike's the GOAT for me. I think LeBron could have been there had he won some more championships. And he's not done. He still might win some more championships. But I think from him not playing with that consistent killer mentality, that's the difference for me. And Mike's just kind of on a podium by himself. But you can debate, go back and forth about, you know, his numbers and, you know, have some of the greatest numbers and arguably being the GOAT. But for me, Mike is the GOAT. But with that being said, let's go on a warm-up proceed, man, and introduce you to this barrel-proof segment, basically where we just ask you a bunch of rapid-fire questions. They'll give it a bunch of thought. Just give me your first instinctive answer, and let's roll with it. First question. Most points you've ever scored in a game? 38. He was on fire. Most famous person you've ever met? Serena Williams. Lucky dog. <laughs> <laughs> Toughest person you've had to guard? Can I give two? Two. Reese Gaines, Randy Foy. You didn't have to guard Dwayne Wade. I did, but he was kind of predictable at before he 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 went on that streak. Speak for yourself, man. That was a tough matchup for me. <laughs> I still got the scars to to prove it. Dipset or Wu Tang? Ooh, I'm have to go Wu. Can't be mad at that. Who won the rap battle, Dame or Shaq? Dame, hands down. Facts. Best city for nightlife. Doesn't have to be in the U.S. Can be anywhere. Don't even got to think about that, Milan. Big facts. I'm going to back you up on that. <laughs> I'm going to back you up. Jordan's or Air Max? Jordan. 
Childhood celebrity crush. That's tough. You know who? Topanga. You T- remember her? Topanga. Who was Topanga? Off of uh, Boy Meets World. Nah, but I'm about to look up though. You don't know what Topanga is? Nah, bro. Um, <laughs> Thought she was gonna say like Aaliyah or nah, somebody Topanga. like that. Okay. I might that might come back to bite me, but oh well. Hey, we on the podcast, man. We uncensored. Something you've done once but would never do again. Get married without a prenup. Interesting. You get me in a whole lot of choke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One's gotta go. Prime T Mac, Prime Penny, MVP Derek Rose, or Prime Grant Hill. T Mac's out of there. He ain't got to think twice about that. Ooh, that's tough. That's real tough. That's a tough. That's, that's a tough a, question, though. He ain't helped that's my man reach games out. Last question: If you had to sing a karaoke song right now, what would it be? Chris Cross. <laughs> you still know that word for word. Word for word. T. Wee. My God. Thank you for coming through, blessing the podcast, brother. Always. And now for my final review of the McKenna Ten Year Single Barrel Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I really enjoyed the tense notes and energy that it brought from the first time I sipped it out of glass. After my palate got warmed up and settled in, I really tasted the vanilla and the caramel flavors that it brought with it. Also packed a little punch too. Smooth transition, but overall, a bourbon that I really enjoy and that I'm going to add to my collection. And I would recommend you adding it to your collection as well. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Taekwon Dean. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. Be sure to share with your family and friends. Rate us. Leave reviews. Don't forget any suggestions that you may have for me for the next bourbon that you might want me to try as the selection of the day. And so now that you've heard the player's perspective, until next time, it's a wrap.